Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. We've all heard words like quantum physics, quantum computer, the spin state, what it is all mean. It's not just some fancy science words trying to educate us. They're actually important, and they actually can revolutionize and change our world. So for this mini-episode, I'm going to teach a little bit about quantum computers. But before I get into that, Nick, how you doing, and what are you drinking? I'm doing awesome. It's uh, kind of early, and I got a long day of editing ahead of me, so i am just got some... Black Rifle Coffee and some Jim Bean. Ooh, that is a great combo. I'm joining you with some vodka and energy drink. So uh, we're going to both get caffeinated and drunk at the same time. I love this. But before I jump in, Nick, what do you know about quantum computers? Well, I don't really know anything uh, about computers in general. I think we've established that. So I'm going to go with the soft nothing. Okay, okay. Now... Just some president. For those who do not know, your computer or your phone that you're currently using uses bits. And these bits pretty much come down to a transistor. And the transistor is pretty much a fancy word for an on-off switch. On being one, off being zero. So with being turned on and off really fast, you can make one zero zero one zero 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 and make words. That's a tube of information and you can talk. But that has limitations. It's a bit slow, can't go really that fast. And luckily with quantum physics, you might be able to change that. So when you actually search for something, you'll find it right away. But it can also mean in the future, things won't be able to be encrypted anymore. Or we would have to come up with a new way for encryption. So a quantum computer is pretty much just quantum bits. And for those who don't know what that is, it's a very, very small, small particle that is in an unknown state. For though, and to help simplify this, imagine a clock. At 12 o'clock is a 1. At 6 o'clock is a 0. And until you look at the clock, that hand for the clock is somewhere in between. And then when you look at it, it goes to one of those forms, either 12 o'clock or 6 o'clock. That being very similar to normal bits, which is a 1 or a 0. The reason why that's really cool and important, because it's not proven until it's observed. So it means, instead of having a 1 and a 0, you just have one quantum bit. So you have far less necessary information to create the same information you'd get with the traditional 1s and zeros that we use every single day. Now, this hand in between the 1 and the 0, the 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock, is called superposition. It's just a fancy way of knowing, of saying it's somewhere in between there. That's just what superposition is. It's just an unknown state until it's observed. And the cool thing with superposition is if you have a quantum bit and it's, say, at 2 o'clock, that's when you look at it, three-fourths of the time, it'll be that 1. And if it's at, say... 4 o'clock, 3 fourths of the time, it'll be 0, but it has the opportunity to go through. And the reason why it can change and shift is because it will 
choose a position, whether zero or one, up or down, once observed that superposition. So it changes its orientation. Now, the reason why I keep pointing this out is because then we get into something called quantum entanglement. But Nick, are you still with me? All right, so I'm going to back you up a little bit. So there's a 75% chance it could be a one, a 75% chance it could be a zero. Is this because it's important to note that depending on how we look at it, it could be it's more likely to be a certain thing? Or I guess my question is, that's uh, 150%, right? Let me literally explain it. So imagine imagine you had a ruler, and the, the device you're listening to us right now, the ruler only has a zero and a one. There's no numbers in between. That's how traditional technology is used. With quantum computers, you have zero and one and all the numbers in between, half inch, three quarters. So when you look at it, you have a higher chance of rounding. This is not exactly how it is, but it's a simplified version. So if you see, oh, I'm at seven eighths of an inch, you're more likely to be at one inch that much time. Does that make sense? I think so. So your normal computers use zero and ones, and your quantum computers can be in between that. It can't. It doesn't have to be a zero. It doesn't have to be a one. So when it is those, like say, 0.78 or something, it it stays 0.78, or does it get rounded up to one? It gets rounded up to one until it's observed. It's not a one or a zero. It's somewhere in between. And then when you look at it, it becomes a one or a zero. An up or a down, so to speak. So imagine a gauge, like a car gauge. You have a zero miles per hour and a hundred miles per hour, and you're somewhere in between. But you're looking at the road. You don't know if you're stopped or going because just stay with me until you look at the dial to see. Oh, I'm actually moving. So you're like driving with like a blacked out window and you're trying to look at the road you're driving through nebraska <laughs> yes it's corn either side straight road no way to tell if you're moving or not exactly and until you look at the dial then you realize if you're moving or not and that's your zero and one for quantum bits okay got that makes sense now sorry if i explain that this is this is something i've kind of learned out throughout the years so i'm trying to do a little crash course on it now knowing you have a one or a zero, so many percentage of a chance. So if you look at something, if you look at a quantum bit, quantum bits 10 times and the the dials at 70 mile, 75 miles per hour out of 100, three fourths of that time, it'll go to 100 miles. And then one quarter of the time, it'll go down to zero. Does that make sense? Just the odds of it being a one increase if it's higher, closer to one. Yeah, that makes sense. So now this is where quantum entanglement is. Now quantum entanglement is just a fancy word for uh, a puzzle piece. If you didn't know what a puzzle piece looked like, you couldn't tell where the little prong is to go into the other piece or the female piece where a prong goes in. But when you look at it, you then know exactly what the other piece has to be. So if you're not sure if you have a pencil sharpener or a pencil, and then you look at it, you know the other one has to be a pencil sharpener or vice versa. So simply knowing one you know another. Does that make sense? Got it. That makes sense. Okay. Now, the reason why we're slowly moving towards quantum computers is because I'm an idiot. No, 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 no. It's because there are, well, we're both idiots in this because there are people who are really, really good at technology making your electronics smaller. Every year, our transistors, our wires, our circuit boards, and our phones, computers, they all get tinier and tinier. 
And the tinier and tinier they get, the more weird things happen, or as Albert Einstein liked to say, strange things. Because Albert Einstein was not a uh, big fan of quantum entanglement or some quantum physics features, even though him and Bose, so Bones-Einstein particle, is a really weird particle. So the smaller you get, your normal physics kind of go out the window. So that's why we have quantum physics and Newtonian physics. Now bringing back to quantum entanglement, because our technology is getting so small, those electrons, the electricity running through your wires, your circuit boards, if it gets so small, the material it's running in, and you turn it off, like you disconnect it, or you put like a dam in it, the electron will simply teleport to the other side. It doesn't stop, hence quantum tunneling, which is another fancy word for teleportation. So you can make something really small, and if you turn it off on the off switch, the electricity is just going to make that jump and keep going, like the off switch doesn't happen, which can be bad when you're messing with electronics because imagine a 9-volt battery getting plugged into something that would take a double A. You're going to have a bad time. So just to alliterate, quantum bits, 0 to 1, it's at a superposition until we observe it. And once we observe it, we know another position. And based on that, there's a, I don't want to go into it because even I don't fully understand it. There's a 50% chance that it will be what is observed or 50 chance not what is observed. They used to think there was a law or connection inside the quantum bits that we couldn't see or tell. But through experimentation, we can tell there's no laws. It's just odds and percentages. So that gives us the quantum entanglement. And that quantum entanglement can now tell us information. So, going back to normal bits, we have ones and zeros and one quantum bit. Quantum bits in computers are usually giving a factor of n. For those who don't remember in math class, n is just a fancy way of saying a number. You can say 100 is equal to n, et cetera, et cetera. You can change that. To do, say, 100n, 100, 100 quantum bits, you'd have to do the same number but 2 to the n for your device that you're listening to now. So if I have 100 qubit bits, 100 quantum bits, it's 2 to the 100 normal bits. Those are very big numbers. And for those who don't remember, when you exponent something, it rapidly, rapidly grows. So with quantum bits, you could do information at a much smaller scale, well, not smaller, much more dense scale and use less information, less power, less energy so that's really important nick am, am i am i uh are you still with me still here okay okay you probably fell asleep in the back of uh your classroom but it's okay i'm just gonna keep on talking it's what the coffee's for <laughs> so two to the end is normal bits and if you try to do the same information process from quantum bits to current bits we're using today you would quickly get more atoms than they are in the entire universe it's not great. So quantum bits allow us to do more computations, more numbers, more information. So it's really great for simulations when there's a lot of complex things. And if you want to manually break a code, like um, like your code to sign into your computer or your phone, it can do it what would take years into seconds, take decades into minutes. It's extremely fast, extremely powerful. Unfortunately, though, we're not quite there yet. A big problem with quantum computers currently, they do exist. Don't worry, your data is fine because to do it, it's very expensive. It needs to be cold. It needs to be a few degrees above absolute zero. A few 
milliDegrees, degrees above zero Kelvin in order to function. So when a supermaterial comes out that can be room temperature or quote unquote hot, it's really important, really cool. It means it's closer for you to have cooler technology and cool, closer for you to be able when you search for something on the internet to actually find what you're looking for. Because I don't know about you, Nick. I've always dealt with, I accidentally click too fast on the computer and my computer freezes or crashes once in a while. That would not happen with quantum computers. You cannot move faster than the computer. That would be nice. You know, I have a trusty laptop that is slow as shit. You also have a phone that is not actually made in this decade anymore, Nick. Oh, yeah, that's also a... Technology's not my friend... <laughs> but that would be nice that that would be very very nice so just uh all right so we got single state which is the one or zero superposition which is in between those quantum entanglement which means other those quantum bits are like a puzzle piece and knowing one you can know others and it's also faster but unfortunately it needs a lot of it needs to be cold and we're still kind of learning it so a lot of the quantum bits we currently play with are electrons, and to, it, it works. We also use it with protons. Sometimes we split the protons. It's, it's still complicated working with these tiny, tiny particles. But some very cool things have come out recently. Recently, we made a, like I mentioned earlier, hot quantum computer part. It's not, um, it's not ready for any high production, but it does mean... We could have room temperature, 300 Kelvin-ish quantum computers, which is super awesome, which means we wouldn't have to use so much force to orientate the quantum bits. Now, what I mean by, by align them, get them organized, it's kind of hard to do. I kind of skipped over that. I'm going back to that now. So all these quantum bits, you got to get in line. It's like a bunch of wires. If you don't, if your wires are all tangled up and knotted, you're going to have a bad time. And... Since they're in superposition, they're kind of spinning, they're kind of moving, they're kind of all over the place. So usually, again, going back to the cold part, you have to make them really cold with liquid helium or uh, some inert gas a few degrees above Kelvin, and then you have to add magnetism, love magnets, so I'm always happy with that, to help orientate which way was up, which way is down, so that way you can communicate with them. And they use a very, very, very specific frequency. Like it won't accidentally shift or move. It needs a specific frequency to do this, which is uh, really kind of cool to me. I don't know if it translates to you, Nick, of using specific frequency to align quantum particles. So when you say use a specific frequency to move like to move them around and you can do this at room temperature what like explain to me why that's important again so right now most things still need to be super cooled the reason it's difficult to be super cooled is well nick when's the last time you met anything that's negative 460 odd degrees celsius which is like uh i think it was in one of the godzilla movies they did something <laughs> like that well Getting something that cold is really hard to do and really expensive. But if we can do something at room temperature where we don't have to supercool it, it makes things A, cheaper and easier to do. And it's really important because when we add that frequency, that electromagnetism hertz, we can change the orientation with them at 
room temperature. For Just to simplify, it's not exactly like this. I don't know if you remember this from physics, and but when you heat up a gas, the particles bump into each other. They move around a lot more. Yep. It's sort of similar. It's harder to orientate. It's harder to line up a quantum bit at room temperature. But when it's cold, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to do. But if we can use super materials, hence why everyone always talks about like uh, carbon fiber or carbon nanotubes like when we get like super materials it makes it easier to do that at room temperature which means you can maybe by the end of our lifetimes nick walk around with a quantum computer in your phone which would be more advanced than putting all the computers that and technology that we have in today together okay got it that makes sense also isn't that essentially what we did already like isn't that just technology increasing exponentially that's just the way we're going to do it like there's more technology in our phones than what there was like in the 70s in actual computers, those giant room computers. Yeah, well, I'm, if I if I remember correctly, we got to the moon with the same amount of computing power, same amount of computing power as a calculator, a normal basic calculator. Which means as technology exponentially grows. We're going to have to change a lot of things. We're going to have to change how we encrypt things. And the reason why I bring this up, because I think it's really cool, is a quantum computer could possibly break every password and combination in the world existing within less than a few months. Every bank password, every social security account, every everything within months using a quantum computer or even better i could use it to break into my own accounts and not just have to continually hit forgot password that that would be very beneficial for a lot of things but i feel like my mind is blown but uh uh your mind is is uh not exactly not blown no i mean that's really impressive like it, i mean yeah you'd have to change all your security systems but i feel like that that's going to adapt with time you know as this becomes more and more common they're going to get more defenses and whatever just going to have to keep up or lose i mean how often do banks get hacked it seems like i don't know what once every three months or something it's in the news <laughs> yeah it's just it's just amazing to me we could do such complex simulations where We've talked about it in other podcasts. If you knew all the information in the world, could determinism be proven? Might be able to be proven with all the information and variables in the world using a quantum computer. It would mean storage gets smaller, so you could use less area. Like we all have seen technology grow from like the 50s with a computer taking up in an airport hangar to now fitting in our in our pockets. It might be that with a quantum computer it, a quantum computer the size of a airfield hangar might be able to compute every possibility every action a human will take with percentages and chances man i really don't want to see the day when they prove determinism right that's going to be a really sad depressing day but that's a whole nother topic if this episode does well and you guys want to do more quantum physics i kind of just jumped into the water got your toes a little wet i can go in more detail uh, please let us know on Backyard Philosophy on Instagram or on YouTube page or anywhere you listen to uh, our podcast. We would really like some feedback. That'd be great. But just to alliterate, a quantum bit can be both a one and a zero until we observe it. And it's also, until we observe it, in a superposition of somewhere between one and zero. And it's way more efficient, 
better than what we currently have. The only hiccups are temperature and kind of controlling it. But Nick, do you have any questions for this Crash Course 101? I'm just kind of curious. So you said there's like a few quantum computers out there. Are these mostly private industry? Are these you know university? Like who's looking into this uh, field? So it's kind of all over the board. There's everywhere from Google to the to universities to China. It's everywhere from public company, university, and countries. They're all. It's kind of like a a hidden space race. Something everyone's doing in the shadows and racing towards to do. Yeah, I mean, in the right hands, it could be kind of a weapon if someone the first for the first country to get to it. Imagine all the Bitcoin you could mine with a quantum computer. You would be a billionaire within seconds. And for those wondering, how can I get a hold of a quantum computer? You sort of can. There are some small pieces. They're not that efficient. I haven't really looked into them, but you can get them if you keep them cold enough and do all these variables. But it's a... Uh, it's getting to the point where everything we know for technology is about to be useless, and we're going to have a whole nother field. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.